0: Real quick, I just want to say how much I thank the Lord for this gal. Thank you. I appreciate her so much. I thank her for her life and ministry here. I think we have the best worship leader. And thank you, Nicole, for your ministry. You're the best. Daniel chapter 4 tonight. While you're turning there, a couple of things. Don't forget about our worship night on Sunday night, February the 21st at 7 o'clock, right here in the auditorium. And then also, my son wanted me to announce to all youth parents tonight that if your uh, teen is planning on going on the retreat, to please sign them up. You can do that even through our website by going to our website, theoasisaz.org, uh, and signing them up right there on the website. Daniel chapter 4. Let's go back and just review for a moment. The book of Daniel is all about the sovereignty of God. Key verse, Daniel five twenty one. The most high God rules in the kingdoms of men. In Daniel chapter 1, we are introduced to Daniel and to his friends who were in exile in Babylon, taken from their family out of Israel. Why were they taken? Because the people of God had turned their backs on God. Therefore, God said, I'm going to use a foreign nation as my instrument of discipline to draw you back to me. That's always God's purpose for anything that he allows his people to go through. Is ultimately, it's for our spiritual benefit to draw us back to him. And God accomplished that. But God, because he's God, can do multiple big things at the same time. So God was not only working on the hearts of his people while they were in exile in Babylon. As we're going to see tonight, God was also reaching hearts of people in Babylon. He was saving people in Babylon, including, I believe, the king overall of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to talk about that tonight. Then in Daniel chapter 2, so we see why God placed Daniel in Babylon. It it wasn't just for Daniel's sake or uh, the people of Judah's sake. It it was also to reach other people that might never have been reached had Daniel not been there. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar sees a great dream where God's sovereignty is declared over the nations of the world down through history. And God is basically saying, kingdoms will come and go. But my kingdom remains forever last week in Daniel chapter 3 we saw God's sovereignty defended because Nebuchadnezzar erected this great statue had the idea that everybody was to bow down to it as an idol of worship Daniel's three friends Shadrach Meshach and Abednego failed to bow down and worship the idol Therefore, King Nebuchadnezzar got very angry and said, I'm going to throw you into this fiery furnace and burn you alive. And when he did so, he realized that there was a fourth person in the fire with them, who I believe was none other than the Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. And he was walking around the fire with them. And we learn through that story that God will not always prevent us from going through the fire, but will always be there with us in the midst of the fire. And God defended these three young men because they stood up for God, God stood up for them. Tonight, we're going to see sovereignty discerned. Discerned through the life of this king, Nebuchadnezzar. So join me tonight as we enter into Daniel chapter 4. This is a fitting symbol, this chapter, by the way, of how God judges pride, but how he gives grace to those who are humble. In fact, all through the Bible, God talks a lot about pride and humility. In the Old Testament, book of Proverbs It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The Old Testament also declares that God hates pride. The New Testament declares that God gives grace to the humble but resists the proud. And then it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you in due time. So over and over again, God has a message about pride and humility. We know the story that Jesus gave of the publican and the tax collector in the Gospel of Luke. And and what is pride, if you will? Pride is stealing the glory that only is due to God. That's one way we express pride by, in a sense, trying to steal God's glory. And God said, I will share my glory with no one else. But another way, maybe more subtly, that we can live in pride, and this is one that you and I as Christians all, always have to constantly check ourselves with, is living independently of God. Not relying and depending upon him Uh, through every moment of our lives. Anytime you and I are basically saying to God what a child says to the parents, I do. That's pride. That's saying, God, I don't need you. I can handle this myself. And the crazy thing is that even though God is the greatest person in the universe, far beyond even our capacity to, to grasp and understand, he is willing to help us with anything and everything. So why do we walk in pride at times and say, I do, God. I do. So I hope tonight that you and I will be inspired by the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar to walk less and less in pride in our life, independently of God, and more and more to rely and depend upon God for anything and everything in our life. Notice Chapter 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and language groups that live in all the land, peace and prosperity. Shalom, in a sense, even though he was not Jewish. It was a common greeting even in those days. I am delighted. Literally, he's saying, it's beautiful for me to tell you about the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom will last forever, and his authority continues from one generation to the next. Nebuchadnezzar, in much of chapter 4, is giving his testimony of, I believe, how he came to trust God as his Savior. I personally believe we will see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven one day. And remember... Nebuchadnezzar is the ruler of the most powerful empire on earth at that time. Therefore, we could in some way equate it to this. He's the most famous person on the planet in this day and age. And he's getting up and basically saying in chapter 4, verse 1, everybody in my kingdom, which was a pretty big kingdom. Listen, I want to tell you a beautiful story of how I came to faith in the one true God. Think about it. We all might have different answers to this, but who's the most famous person on planet Earth right now? Who's the person that everybody, no matter where they live on Earth, would recognize or know? And think then, if that person is not a Christian, if they became a Christian, and then use their platform to basically tell all these people around the world the beautiful testimony of how they came to God. That's what Nebuchadnezzar's doing in Daniel chapter 4. And by the way, notice that Nebuchadnezzar is saying about his own personal testimony of how he came to trust the Lord. It's a beautiful story. I want to encourage you with that. Each of us has a beautiful story to tell others. About how we came to know the Lord, or how the Lord allowed us to, to know Him in some way. Maybe it's even a story of how we came to know God in a, in a more real way, in a more tangible way, how we grew closer to Him. And I love what Nebuchadnezzar says. He says in verse three, How greater His signs, how mighty are His wonders. The words signs and wonders in the Old Testament speak about miracles. God is a God of miracles. And Nebuchadnezzar saw some of God's miracles. He saw the fourth person in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He saw God speaking through Daniel about the dreams and visions that he had that none of his other wise men in the kingdom could tell him about. He saw the works of God. And he says it was through this process of seeing God working in my life and then coming to this, where he's going to literally humble him and bring him as low as he can possibly go, that Nebuchadnezzar finally looks up and throws away his pride and says, I get it, God. I get it. So notice chapter 4, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was relaxing in my home. Why is he sharing? Because he, he's giving us his first person account of how this all took place. He said, I was relaxing in my home, living luxuriously in my palace. Note, Nebuchadnezzar is prospering, he's flourishing. But now comes another dream. He says, I saw a dream that frightened me badly. Now, God doesn't always do this with dreams, but one of the things that is said in the book of Job is that God will every once in a while use dreams to draw pride out of men. That's exactly what he did here with Nebuchadnezzar. He used the dreams of being quiet in the night to sort of shake Nebuchadnezzar up. And then he says, the things I imagined while lying on my bed, these visions of my mind were terrifying me. So I issued an order for all the wise men of Babylon to be brought before me so that they could make known to me the interpretation of the dream. This guy just doesn't learn, does he? He keeps repeating, going back to these wise guys, and they can't help him. And over and over again, he keeps, every time he has something come up, he goes back, he's making the same mistake over and over again. Verse 7, when they got there, they were unable to make known its interpretation. And then I love this. In verse 8, it's just like Daniel comes in out of nowhere. Now, I don't believe it was like Daniel coming out of nowhere. I think Daniel, being the man that he was, he was in tune with the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God just stirred him to go in then to the king at that particular time, after all the other wise men were unable to give Nebuchadnezzar another interpretation of this dream. So later, verse 8, Daniel comes in. His name, according to Nebuchadnezzar, is not Daniel. It is Belteshazzar, the name that Nebuchadnezzar gave him, after the name of my God, in whom there is a spirit of the holy gods, I recounted the dream for him as well, saying, "Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, or literally scholars in my kingdom, in whom I know there to be a spirit of the holy gods and whom no mystery baffles, consider my dream that I saw and set forth its interpretation. A couple things. One, three times in this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar describes Daniel as one who had a spirit of the holy God in them. Verse 8, Verse 9, and then if you look over in verse 18, he also says, You can do so for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. I want you and I to note something here. A pagan king, a person who as of yet does not know the Lord, recognizes that there's a different spirit in Daniel. And I say that again to encourage us that when we walk with the Lord, And those of us who have the Holy Spirit living within us, we can allow even those that do not know the Lord yet to see the Lord through us and to see that there is a different spirit in us than the one who is in the world. I think of Caleb when I think of a different spirit. God even said, said, look at my servant Caleb. There's a unique and different spirit in that man than there is in anybody else that I can find. And I want to just talk about this for a minute because this is important. One of the things that makes a different spirit is seeing the same thing that others see, but seeing it with a different perspective. Because you know the story. This is when they sent the 12 spies out to spy out the land, and the spies come back and say, oh, we can't go into the land. There's giants in the land, and and we're just not big enough, and we're not strong enough. And Caleb's like, let's go. Now, notice, Caleb never denied that there weren't giants in the land. Caleb saw the same evidence that the spies saw. He just saw it with different eyes. He's saying, we surely can go in because God's with us. I know there's giants there. So it wasn't like the spies saw giants and somehow Caleb didn't see giants. They both saw the giants. They both saw the challenge. They both saw the obstacle. But the one who had a different spirit in him saw it with a different perspective. That's the kind of spirit God wants to create in you and I. It's not that we'll see something different than what's really there. It's not that we'll see something different than what's really going on or what other people see, but we see it from a different perspective than others do because of the spirit that God placed within us. Nebuchadnezzar saw a different spirit In Daniel. And that spirit came out as he interacted with Nebuchadnezzar over the years. Second, I love this, back in verse 9 of Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar says, no mystery baffles you. The word means to distress or trouble Daniel. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar is saying, it doesn't matter what I throw at you, Daniel. You always maintain your composure. You're always calm. You're never, you know, freaking out. You're never at a loss. You never let whatever information I have given you, no matter what it is, you know, stir you up in a a troubling and distressful way. And why is that? Because Daniel walked with God, the most high God. And when you and I have fellowship, intimate fellowship with the Most High God who rules in the kingdoms of men, it doesn't matter what men are planning to do and what the kingdoms are doing. We know God's the one that's ultimately in control. And we can trust him. And therefore, we don't have to be all upset and and filled with anxiety and all of this about what's going on in the world and, and look at where this is going and look at what. No, why? Because it doesn't trouble me. Because I'm walking with God. I'm walking with God. And I'm not going to get caught up in what what the world and what the kingdoms of the world are doing. I'm just going to walk with God every day and just let him direct me through this life to bring glory and honor to him. That was Daniel. That was Daniel. That should be us as well. Again, not only are we reminded and encouraged by the sovereignty of God in this book, but we are challenged by the example of Daniel and his friends. So Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 10, here are the visions of my mind while I was on my bed. And basically, I'm not going to go through all this. He he sees this great tree, which he's going to find out represents him, and he sees it chopped down to the ground. In fact, let's go over there for a moment. Verse 23, we'll skip ahead to that. As for the king seeing a holy sentinel coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its taproot in the ground with a band of iron and bronze around it, surrounded by the grass of the field, let it become damp with the dew of the sky, let it live with the wild animals until seven periods of time go by for him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decision of the Most High that this has happened to my Lord, the King. You will be driven from human, human society. You will live with the wild animals. You will be fed grass like oxen. You will become damp with the dew of the sky. Seven periods of time will pass by for you before you understand the Most High is the ruler over human, human, human kingdoms and gives them to whomever he wishes. Whoa. Now, remember, key verse in Daniel Is 521, the Most High God rules in the kingdoms of men, right? But notice three times in this chapter that similar phrase is repeated. The first time is in verse 17 the Most High has authority over human kingdoms. Then we just read verse 25. The most high is ruler over human kingdoms. And finally, verse 32 at the end. The most high is ruler over human kingdoms. We need to get that. We all need to be reminded of that. God is on the throne. God rules. God reigns at all times. And God is in control. Man does not call the shots. God does, okay? And God can bring down people, and he can exalt people anytime he wants to. And what he did with Nebuchadnezzar is, yes, Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man on planet Earth, and God simply said, done, I'm bringing you down. It's time. And God can do that at any time. But notice, through this dream, we're going to see in a minute, God was mercifully and graciously going to give Nebuchadnezzar a chance to repent and not have to go through the consequences of what Daniel talked about there in verses 23 and 24. And we'll come back to those verses in just a moment. By the way, something else interesting here, just for note, notice the phrase in the Net Bible in verse 23, a holy sentinel coming down from heaven. You see this phrase describing an angelic being three times in Daniel chapter 4, and it's a very rare description of an angelic being. In verse 13 of Daniel 4, a holy sentinel came down from heaven. In verse 17, this announcement is by the decree of the sentinels. Who are the sentinels besides my high school? <laughs> that was our nickname. Um Well, we know that the Bible teaches that there are seraphim that God has created, there are cherubim, there are archangels, and there are sentinels. There's all kinds of, of different angelic creatures or supernatural beings that God has created, all with different roles and responsibilities, all look different, all have different parts to play in God's kingdom. And the sentinels are just another aspect of those created beings that God has made to bring glory and honor to Him. And they serve Him as they are here in Daniel chapter 4. Now, let's go back to verse 17. This announcement is by the decree of the sentinels. This decision is by the pronouncement of the holy ones so that those who are alive may understand that the Most High has authority over human kingdoms and he bestows them on whomever he wishes. He establishes over them even the lowliest of human beings. God can set up in leadership whoever he wants to. Doesn't matter. He's in control. All right? This is the dream, verse 18, that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation, for none of the wise men in my kingdom are able to make known to me the interpretation. But you can do so because you have a different spirit in you. Okay? Now notice in verse 19, when Daniel hears the dream, it says Daniel was upset for a brief time. His thoughts were alarming him. Now, not in the way that I talked about how whatever information got it wouldn't trouble Daniel. This is a description of us trying to understand how much Daniel loved Nebuchadnezzar. He had served this king for many years at this time, and he had grown to love this man. And he saw the fate and future of this man, unless he turned his life around to God. And it grieved him. And so again, we get insight into the heart of Daniel, even for those that don't know God. It's the kind of heart that God wants to create in us. Instead of being upset at people that don't know God, we need to pity them. We We need to reach out to them in love, knowing that the way that They are, and the way that they think is only because they don't have God in their life. And we can't expect them to act like we want them to or a certain way because they don't have God in their life. First, they need God. And Daniel was, in a sense, very troubled about what Nebuchadnezzar was going to have to face. And it bothered Daniel, just as it should bother us. The Bible even says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that the death of the wicked in no way makes God feel good. He created them just as he created us. And so here you again have an insight into the heart of Daniel for this man. He says, Belteshazzar, Verse 19, don't let the dream and its interpretation alarm you. But Belteshazzar, Daniel replied, sir, if only the dream were for your enemies and its interpretation applied to your adversaries. If only what I'm about to tell you would have been for somebody else rather than you. I don't want to see you have to go through this. I mean, think about that. That's sort of like you have a friend and you see him sort of going the wrong way. You're a parent. You see a child going the wrong way. And there's really nothing you can do about it and how that makes you feel. That's Daniel. He's like, I wish you didn't have to go through what God has revealed to me he's going to do. I don't like it for you. The tree that you saw that grew large and strong, verse 20, whose top reached to the sky and which could be seen in all the land, whose foliage was attractive and its fruit plentiful and from which there was food available for all, under whose branches wild animals used to live and in whose branches birds of the sky used to nest? It's you, O king. By the way, isn't it interesting that under Nebuchadnezzar, the great hanging gardens of Babylon were built? And much of what Daniel's language here is talking about Nebuchadnezzar being this this beautiful garden, if you will, Notice he says, you have become great and strong. Your greatness is such that it reaches to heaven and your authority to the ends of the earth. But guess what? You've stolen glory from the Lord. You've not given God his due. And as great as you are, you have not yet come to understand that your greatness and your kingdom and everything that you have, your riches and everything, is only because God gave it to you and you've given him no glory. So notice, if you go back to verse 25, I'm going to pick it up in the middle or somewhere around the middle. He says, seven periods of time will pass by for you. If you go later into the book of Daniel, I think that means seven years. Seven years. God has decreed seven years are going to pass when I bring you low before you acknowledge publicly that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms. And that's what the word understand means. Not just acknowledge personally, but acknowledge publicly. Confess to all the people of your kingdom that, yep, I'm not the one in charge, Nebuchadnezzar. The Most High God is the one in charge. Then he said, verse 26, but leave the taproot of the tree, for your kingdom will be restored to you when you come to understand that heaven rules. In other words, God's not going to kill him, but God's going to bring him as low as he possibly can go to build him back up. Sometimes God has to do that. Sometimes God has to bring someone down to where there's almost nothing left before he can build them back up because he's got to recreate the proper foundation. And that was true in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Therefore, O king, notice verse 27, may my advice be pleasing to you. May it be welcomed into your heart and mind to the point where you're willing to change. Whew. Daniel is pleading with King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, break away from your sins by doing what is right and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps, perhaps your prosperity will be prolonged. Basically, it's an Old Testament way of saying to Nebuchadnezzar, repent, turn your life around, stop living this way, and perhaps God will not visit you, and humble you the way he's planning to do it. Now notice verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, and now from verse 28 through verse 33, notice Nebuchadnezzar now is no longer talking. Why? Because he can't talk because he's a raving lunatic or will be in just a moment. So, this is sort of Daniel's editorial after the fact until Nebuchadnezzar gets in his right mind again in verse 34 and closes out the rest of the chapter. So, let's look at it. Verse 29. After 12 months, let's not miss that, that's important. God gave Nebuchadnezzar more than enough time to turn to him. A whole year. How patient is our God! He told Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring you low. I'm going to remove you from being the ruler over the most powerful kingdom on earth. I'm going to bring you down as low as a human being can go unless you turn to me. And God gave him a whole year. Shows how hard our heart can be, right? He did not repent like i people say oh you know how can god bring judgment and do these things listen god never does any of that first before he gives plenty of warning and plenty of opportunity to turn around cuz god takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked or even in judging anyone that's not the heart of god but he'll do it if he knows it will bring about spiritual benefit And his glory. So notice, the king happened to be walking around on the battlements of the royal palace of Babylon. Life was good, right? Doesn't get any better than this. The king uttered these words, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built for a royal residence by my own mighty strength and for my majestic honor? And while these words were still on the king's lips, a voice came down from heaven. It is hereby announced to you, King Nebuchadnezzar, that your kingdom has been removed from you. Boom! That's how quick it came. He thought he was on top. And God, in one second, brought him from way up there in his haughty place all the way down to the most humblest of circumstances. Listen, God knows how to exalt and God knows how to humble. God can bring those on earth that walk around in pride and haughtiness down anytime he wants to. And if he chooses not to do it in the timing that we think he should or whatever, thank God for his patience, because how patient is he with us? Notice, you will be driven, verse 32, from human society. You will live with the wild animals. You will be fed grass like oxen, and seven periods of time will pass by before you understand that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and gives them to whomever he wishes. Now, in that very moment, this pronouncement about Nebuchadnezzar came true. He was driven from human society. He ate grass like an oxen. His body became damp with the dew of the sky until his hair became long like an eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. I think about this, right? Most famous person on the planet, ruler of the greatest kingdom on earth, and now he's out in his backyard like an animal a raving lunatic for seven years. By the way, things that are talked about in our society as sort of science fiction or whatever, things like lycanthropy, werewolfism and things like that, where do you think that they get that kind of even seed for something like that? Half man, half beast. That was Nebuchadnezzar. By the way, There have been examples of this throughout history where there were people who literally went mad and thought that they were animals and lived like animals for a time, just like Nebuchadnezzar did. They had a mental break, and that's exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. But notice the end. Let's get to the good part. At the end of the appointed time, seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, now he's back into his right mind, looked up toward heaven, and my sanity returned to me. When he finally was willing to acknowledge, I'm not in control. I'm not the most powerful person. And then I love this. He said, I extolled the Most High, and I praised and glorified the one who lives forever. These are worship words. The word extolled means to kneel or bow before. The king is now bowing. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, right? The word praise means to adore. He's adoring God. The word glorified means to magnify. No longer about him. Nope. It's now about the Most High God. For notice what Nebuchadnezzar's testimony is. His authority is an everlasting authority. His kingdom extends from one generation to the next, not mine. All the inhabitants of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he wishes with the army of heaven and with those who inhabit the earth. No one slaps his hand and says to him, what have you done? And at that time, my sanity returned to me and I was restored to the honor of my kingdom and my splendor returned to me. My ministers and my nobles were seeking me out and I was reinstated over my kingdom. He's basically saying, God is not only the greatest God, he's a God of the second chance. He's a God not only who gives us multiple opportunities to come back to him or to get things right with him or to align our lives with him, but he's also the God who will restore. And he restored me back. He didn't have to do that. So he's not only this great God, he's a merciful God. He's a gracious God. He's a loving God who only wants what's best, but only when we're willing to acknowledge him and give him his rightful place in our lives each and every day. I was reinstated over my kingdom. I became even greater than before. Well, of course. Why? Because when we put God in his rightful place, he will exalt us. He will magnify us when we live to magnify him. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, for all his deeds are right and his ways are just. He is able to bring down or humble those who live in pride. And if you want, what is the one phrase that sort of is over the whole chapter? That's it, the very last phrase of chapter 4. God knows how to humble the proud. And I, Nebuchadnezzar, I am exhibit A Of the proud person God brought me down but it was only so that I could know him and magnify him and tell others my beautiful story of how I came to know him folks if we learn anything from Daniel chapter 4 it's that God hates pride it's that Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. Therefore, let us humble ourselves before our mighty God so that he may exalt us in due time. Better to humble ourselves always than to get to a place where God has to humble us like he did Nebuchadnezzar. And there's two primary ways we live in pride. One, by stealing the glory that only should go to God. And second, by living independently of God, by saying, God, I do, I do, instead of learning to rely and depend upon God. Let us be inspired and motivated from Daniel chapter 4 to live less and less independently of God and learn to more and more and more rely and depend upon him every day. Because the God who is great is also the God who is gracious. And he wants to help with anything and everything in our life. Why then do we, as human beings, not go to him and ask him for help? and allow him to help us when he's willing to help us. And he's the best one to be able to help us because there's no one greater than our God. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for the personal and beautiful story of the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar, of how this great king had to be humbled in order to come to you. And we, God, we know that maybe in our own life or in the life of a family member or a friend or an associate or someone we've known, we have seen you work in similar ways in other people's lives, where you had to bring them down in order to build them back up. God, I pray tonight that we will recognize how destructive pride is in our life, that we will work to get pride more and more out of our life, that we will recognize, God, that we need you desperately each and every day that we live, and that we'll learn to just get into a rhythm of living life in total dependence and total reliance upon you, God. May we not be so proud that we refuse to turn to you, God, and ask for your help or seek you, Lord, in anything and everything that we're going through. God, we don't need to do this ever alone. We have you who are willing to walk with us through this life and give us everything that we need, God. So God, help us to turn to you in humility, to humble ourselves before you, and to realize, God, that we not only need you, but we need each other too. We should never live life alone. So God, help us to not only reach out to you, but to welcome others into our life so that we can, Lord, do this together because we're stronger together than we ever are apart. God, take us home safely tonight. Give us a good night of rest and wake us up tomorrow, God, ready to live for you and serve you. And most of all, God, Humble ourselves before you and say, we need you, God, today, just like every day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.